Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We're so glad to see you here, whether you're joining us on campus or uh, on our live stream. I want to say welcome to Sunridge. And if you guys don't know me, my name's Britt. Um, I serve the church here as a lead pastor. And uh, I hope that I'm not the first one to have welcomed you if you're a guest here today. But I would like to welcome you as well to Sunridge. I want to remind you guys, I know you're going to hear this over and over again until next week, but like Christmas Eve services, 2.30 and 4, I'm telling you, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be bright and uplifting. It's going to be for every part of the family except for the littles. We're going to have child care for them. The music is going to be powerful and amazing, and the message is going to be short. So... <laughs> That is a great reason to invite your friends. Uh, if you ever thought, like, man, I know somebody I want to invite to Sunridge. They haven't been in church or they don't go to church. We are going to put our best foot forward. We're not going to do anything weird. So invite your friends. Invite your family to be here with us. It's going to be so great. And I do want to remind you again, like, get this down. Everybody wave at me right now. There will be no service here on Christmas morning, Sunday the 25th. Okay, got that? Look at your neighbor and say, I got it. It's so sad to hear about somebody who shows up here on Christmas morning, loaded up your kids, said, you opened your presents from Santa, now we're going to church, and there's no church. <laughs> so, but look for an email from us of a very Merry Christmas greeting from all of your staff. You're going to love it. So anyway, I'm curious as we you know, come into this Christmas season, how many of you You'd say, like, I'm a natural planner. I am a planning machine. Okay. If you had your Christmas shopping done in the summer, then you are officially a planner, okay? But if you have not started your Christmas shopping yet, not only are you not a planner, but you're in big trouble right now, you guys. <laughs> it's almost too late to get anything done about it. And uh, actually, you shouldn't even be in church right now. You should be out shopping because <laughs> um, it's only seven days away. So I just wanted to give you that encouragement as we start today. If you uh, are just joining us, we've been in a series for this Christmas season we're calling It's a Wonderful Mess. And it's obviously a play off of the number one favorite Christmas classic of all time in America, whether it's yours or not, um, it's a Wonderful Life. And uh, how many of you have, have seen it? Let's raise our hands. Now, how many of you have watched it for the first time just because we've been talking about it? I've been getting emails from some of you. Awesome. Great. So the problem is that um, life isn't always just wonderful, is it? Sometimes it's a mess. And what we've been doing is we've been showing clips from It's a Wonderful Life to illustrate our messages about how it is more of a wonderful mess, and I want to show one uh, to you guys, to all of our planners out there right now. Here's a clip for you. Next year, the 
my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were well, you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, tell me. If I told you, it might not come through. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Hey. <laughs> I love that scene. So George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, and of course that's Donna Reed as Mary. George has big dreams, right? He has plans. He has things he wants to accomplish. His life was going to be wonderful, but if you've seen the movie, and as I, I can tell many, many of you have, you know that his life doesn't pan out exactly the way that he thought it was going to. In fact, there's a point in the movie in which this guy who has so many plans for his life and so many dreams is now in a dark place because nothing very little, at least, has gone according to his plan, and his life is not wonderful. And here's another clip. Maybe some of you, maybe you're not that desperate right now, but life has not turned out like you thought it was going to. And I can imagine that some of you that are either here in the building with me or watching online, that there, there are things that have happened in your life that you didn't plan to happen. Maybe you're in the middle of Christmas season and you're spending it scrambling trying to find a job. Or maybe you're facing a medical battle or you're walking into like, you know, one of the stores here in the community and all the Christmas music is playing and one of them, it's a wonderful time of year, but you're going through a separation and you're wondering how you're going to get through this season. Some of you are going to have an empty chair at your Christmas table this year because of a loss, a death, a tragedy, 
And some of you are just saying, if my kids get sick one more time this season, I'm going to lose my mind. But a lot of us are saying, or we say at some point in our life, God, this is not what I planned. This is not what I thought I'd find under my Christmas tree in 2022. Do you know that the events of Jesus' birth, of his birth family with Mary and Joseph, they make for a beautiful and wonderful story, don't they? We read it every year, and we get all the fuzzy feels. You know, Luke and Matthew tell the story in just a few paragraphs. James and Corey read that. But those brief words are describing what took place over many, many months. So not everything is in the story in all of those words. And, you know, it's kind of like me. When I tell stories to Cindy, I tell the three-paragraph version, too. You know, she's like, you know, how was your day? And I'm like, it was good. <laughs> and she goes, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, it was good. Well, what does good mean? What, what was good about it? Pretty much all of it was good. And she has to draw the amplified version out of me. But when you read the Bible, especially in, you know, the story of Jesus' birth and Mary and Joseph, you don't need to be a deep thinker or have the Holy Spirit reveal something that he's never revealed anybody to anybody else to realize that not all this story is there. So, for instance, if you were to tell your, tell your story from this past year, 2022, but do it in three paragraphs, I mean normal paragraphs, You'd hit the high points, but you'd leave a lot of the details out. So think about this. Imagine with me. Think about that with Mary and Joseph. Like, how did they meet? Was it on a Hebrew online chat? Was there an, did one of them place an ad? Nice younger Jewish girl looking to meet a rugged carpenter guy who's well-established? Maybe she caught his eye at the synagogue. You know, her mom was saying, have you noticed Joseph? You know, he has wonderful prospects, and he has beautiful dark eyes, and have you seen his forearms? When Joseph noticed Mary, maybe he put a little more cologne on. Maybe he found himself talking to her after synagogue. Hey, Mary, what do you want? You want the moon? I'll lasso it for you. Actually, in the first century, marriage was an arranged thing. In Matthew 1.18, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged as in the parents struck a deal. And as a father of three daughters, I used to be able to see the wisdom in this program. In Bible times, uh, Jewish marriage customs regarding a couple's engagement were far different than they are today, and they were a lot more stringent than we uh, believe today. Marriages were arranged by the parents of the bride and the groom, and often and mostly, I would say, the children were not consulted about that marriage. And a contract would be prepared in which the groom's parents would pay the bride's parents money. Again, it makes a lot of sense as a dad of daughters. And if you're, if you're a teenager right now, if you're thinking that your parents have a lot of rules, just be glad you weren't born in the first century. And that contract, once the parents signed it, it was binding. 
And uh, even though they're only engaged or betrothed to one another, your Bible, some of your Bibles might read it that way, um, the actual marriage doesn't occur for many, many months, sometimes as long as a year. So then in the meantime, just imagine what's going on. They're going for long walks in the village of Nazareth. Maybe they're thinking about buying a house or building one on their parents' property. They're probably taking FPU together so that when they're finally married, they can be financially smart. Right, Bob? <laughs> they're talking about having kids, a whole bunch of them, so they can be cute in church like ours were last Sunday. Joseph is probably dreaming of expanding his father's construction company. He'll run the jobs, and Mary will handle the books and do the bidding. It was during this period, that interim period, that the angel Gabriel visits Mary, and he tells her of an impending pregnancy. And she's troubled by that visit. Verse 30, But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now that is printed on millions and millions, maybe billions, of Christmas cards, and you probably even have a few memes with that verse on there, ready to load and send out on Christmas Eve with pictures of your family. But do you think this is what Mary planned? And remember, Mary's still a virgin and would know no man for several months, maybe as long as a year. So obviously Mary has a few questions about this plan. In Luke 134, she says, how will this be? She asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be, to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you think that this clears everything up for Mary? <clears throat> so let me ask you, is Mary stoked or is she freaking out? Freaking out, right? So do you think that all of this makes sense to her as a young teen? Is this how she planned it? She is a virgin, but she'll be pregnant from the Holy Spirit, and your child will be called the Son of God. Now then Joseph is going to become aware of Mary's pregnancy. Remember, this is the three-paragraph version, so the Bible isn't explicit about how he finds out. She probably told him, or maybe she's showing, and they have a very, very hard conversation. In Matthew 1.18, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Whoa. So let me ask you, is Joseph stoked or is he freaking out? He's freaking out. And it appears that Mary told him that it was, it was through the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to be irreverent here, but come on. We read the Bible sometimes in this magical way, but these are real people. And I think that as real people, they are just as surprised from a visit from, you know, with an angel or any of these miraculous occurrences. Matthew, remember where he came from. We talked about that in uh, Jesus Came for the Mess. So maybe this stands out to him a little bit, but he gives us a little insight into who Joseph is as a man. In verse 19, he says, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, we don't know everything that transpires between verses 18 and 19, but we can project ourselves, right? 
into his mind. And we see this result in verse 19. You have to imagine he's really hurt. He's confused. He's probably upset. So just imagine, if you were Joseph, he's put a non-refundable deposit down on the Nazareth Garden Chapel. (laughs) And how is he going to tell his parents? How is he going to explain this to his friends? Then he has his religion, the law. The law says that Mary should be punished for this, stoned to death. And you know, we're not sure, actually, that that even though that was in the law, people actually did that. But where's Joseph's heart in this? He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Would you say that Joseph is demonstrating the goodness that we talked about in our uh, series from 2 Peter? Now, if you're paying really, really careful attention, you might say, wait a minute, they weren't married, so why do they have to get a divorce? Well, at this time in history, being engaged um, is a binding contract, as I said earlier, and the only way out is through an official divorce, and it was much more serious then and much more frowned upon than it is today. So you can imagine how, how this was for Joseph, if you're divorced at the, in the first century, you're pushed out of Jewish society. He would be marked as a sinner. And Joseph must be thinking, here I was. I was doing the best that I could. I was serving the Lord. I was following the law. I'm a righteous man. And now I'm disgraced and divorced. I was set to marry the perfect girl for me. This is not how I planned it. Yet he doesn't want to hurt her. He wants to impose the least disgrace as possible. He could publicly humiliate her, and it would feel good. But he's not going to do that. He will marry her with all the baggage that could come with that decision. But he must be thinking, this is not what I planned. Then think about Mary. She saved herself. She's devout. She's righteous. She's followed the law, too. And after living a life for God, in this moment, it looks like her life is over. She's pregnant without a husband. She's going to be a divorced single mom in a culture that will basically deny her any way of making a living. She's going to be begging for the rest of her life, trying to raise this child, or worse. She's going to bring shame to her family. And you can only imagine the rumors. Her life is over. And she's got to be thinking, God, I said yes to you. I did everything you wanted me to do. Why are you allowing this to happen? I only tried to do what you asked. This isn't fair, God. This is not what I planned. Can you relate? There's some of you that are living that right now. You're finally getting ahead financially. You're going to have a great Christmas with your kids, and then the car has broken down, and the repair is hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And you're like, no, that's not how I planned it. And some of your parents, you poured into your kids. They were your life. You sacrificed everything for them. Everything you did was for them. And now they're making decisions, and you're just kind of scratching your head, and looking, you're looking at them and going, what are you doing? And you think, this is not how I planned it. Some of you, you took a new job just a couple months ago. You did it for your family. It's going to be a better job, a chance for promotion, 
a chance for more income. And now the economy is downsizing. And as the last hired, you're the first to go. And you're a casualty of employment in the middle of the Christmas season. And you're saying, this is not how I planned it. There's so many of you, too many of you, really, and I hurt when I think about you, who thought when you got married you were going to live happily ever after. And today, the happily's not there, and the ever after isn't either. And you're thinking, this is not what I planned. You know, the list could go on and on. Some of you are saying, I didn't plan on having migraines. I didn't plan on battling depression. I didn't think that I'd be living with chronic pain. I didn't plan on fighting cancer. I didn't plan on losing my scholarship. God, what are you doing? This is not how I planned it. You thought you were going to see the world and lasso the moon for Mary. And now you're like, God, God, if you're there. I have one big idea today for all of you who have had to realize in your life that plans change, and you don't always know why. And here it is, one big idea. Forget everything else I said. Remember this. God has a plan in the mess. God has a plan in the mess, and you say, well, how do you know that? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a book in the New Testament. It's called, it was a letter. He wrote it to the church at Rome. And Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I know that there are serious things that we deal with in life, things that we didn't plan. So I'm not making light of this in any way, and I don't want to just like smooth it over with a Bible verse. But I want to ask you something. Why do you think it was necessary for the Apostle Paul to write Romans 8.28? Was it because every Christian has a perfect life? You wouldn't need it, would you? But the Holy Spirit gave these words to Paul. He was inspired to write this sentence, and God preserved it for every one of his children for those times when life isn't what we planned. And the truth is, we don't have to understand it right now. We just have to trust God for that next step. That's all you need. Like another angel said to Gideon in the Old Testament, all you can do is go in the strength you have. You take the next step. You don't see the end of the story. Right now, there's maybe nothing you can see that is good, but God has a plan in the mess. In fact, turn to the person to your right right now and say, God has a plan in the mess. Now, some of you are giggling as you say that. Yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, right. Let me quickly wrap up my message you guys, you should be encouraged. I'm almost done. I want to give you three things about God so that you can be assured that God has a plan in the mess. 
Now, I want to tell you, sometimes theology is like, oh, out there, you know, it's like something the preacher gets excited about, but you're like, eh, you know. Sometimes you can just feel like, so what, or something for scholars to argue about. But this theology, as is, is true of most theology, it's going to make a big difference in your Monday. I'm going to give you three theological statements. Okay, you ready? Number one, God is omniscient. That means he is the all-knowing God who knows everything. Omniscient means unlimited in knowledge, complete knowledge, complete awareness and understanding, perceiving all things. The psalmist said in, one, in Psalm 147.5, his understanding has no limit. His understanding has no limit. In fact, he even knows our thoughts. One, uh, Psalm 139.2, uh, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. If life is not what you planned it, you should know that God is omniscient. He knows. He knows what's happening, plus he knows how hard it is for you to trust him right now. He knows all the questions that you're asking. He hears them, and he knows that you doubt him. So if you've been wondering whether God knows what he's doing, or if he even knows what's happening right now in your life, I want to assure you that God never said, man, I didn't see that coming. He has a plan in the mess. Second thing I want you to see is that this is my other theological statement. These are big words for me. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere and anywhere at the same time, and he is with you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or say it to your neighbor, but like how many have ever felt abandoned by God? Or even how many of you wish he would abandon you for a little while? You know, there is nowhere we can go, even if we wanted to, that God would not be there with us. David said in Psalm 139.7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Whatever you're in the midst of right now, God is there. He knows and he is there. Because God never said, I can't be there for that. I have a previous engagement. He has a plan in the mess, and he's in the mess with us. Last, God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful, and there is nothing that he cannot do. Omnipotent means almighty or infinite in power, having unlimited authority over all things. The psalmist said in 147.5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. God's omnipotence is more than just an important doctrine you study when you're in Bible college or seminary. It's something you can trust when you can't trust anything else. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I know that some of you, you're in the middle of something right now that you just think, God doesn't know. 
He's left me all alone in this, and he's powerless. But I want to remind you that God can do anything he chooses to do. He can change a situation or not. He can have that person fall in love with you or not. He can help you with your math quiz or not. He can heal or raise the dead. And he can empower us to do what is before us. So if you've been wondering if God even exists and why he doesn't act right now in the way you want, I want to remind you that God never said, oh man, I wish I could have done something about that. You see, it looked in this moment in time, just take the snapshot with me, like Mary and Joseph's plans for their lives was wrecked and shattered. And Joseph determines, I have no choice. I have no choice but to divorce her. And he's considering that in verse 20. But in verse 24, he says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Can you imagine you could almost imagine, I'd say, that Joseph is thinking and said, wait, wait, what? You're, you're telling me God is in on this? You're telling me the last thing that I would have wanted to happen in this moment in my life is exactly what God wanted to happen? You mean that he has a purpose in the middle of this thing? And you can almost hear God whispering to him, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And then there's Mary. Imagine all the public rumors and the whispers and the mean-spirited gossip that she could face, and she concludes in Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And remember, what was God's plan in this what seemed like to not be a plan, what was God's plan that they could never have understood in that moment? In Luke one twenty one, he said, the angel said, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their mess. God has a plan. Let me ask you, do you think that that's a good plan? I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And I want to remind us that Jesus didn't just come for the mess. He knew about the mess. He was right there in the mess. And his power makes us overcomers in the mess because he has a plan in the mess. And often, as we see here, the, uh, God's plan in the mess, is redemption. There's something in the mess that's going to come out the backside that is going to redeem people or a situation or an individual. And I wonder if there aren't just some people here right now or even watching online that you'd say, you know, like, I got a big mess, and I, I, can't, I can't figure out how, the piece, how all the pieces come together, and I just need somebody to pray for me that I can stand in the middle of this and keep my eyes on Jesus through it and trust him. I don't have hope. 
I don't, I don't see, I don't have a plan, but I trust that God has a plan. Anybody say, like, I could use a prayer like that? Anyone? Okay. Thank you. And I wonder if there aren't people with us today that, like, you've been far from God. God hasn't been part of your life in a long time, maybe never. And somehow you ended up in church or listened to our sermon online, and you're saying, you know, I don't know that much about God, but I kind of like, I don't know. It's like, he might be my only answer. I, but, you know, like, I don't, I don't qualify. I'm not a nice Christian person. I want to remind you that this whole plan, this wonderful mess that we're talking about over, you know, the month of December comes down to that one verse in Luke 121 that Mary, whose life is a mess, and Joseph are going to bring into the world the Son of God who came to save people from their mess. I think you should consider that. And maybe just say a simple prayer to God, like, God, I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know, I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, don't, I just don't know, but I'm open. And I want to consider that with you, God. If you just pray that prayer, just start there and see what God shows you. Because God says, I have a plan. I have a plan. It looks like a mess, but it's going to be a wonderful mess when I get done with it. Let's pray. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.